Section forty one. Chapter twelve of the Commentaries on the Laws of England, Book one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Commentaries on the Laws of England by William Blackstone. Book one. Chapter twelve. Chapter the twelfth. Of the Civil State. The lay part of His Majesty's subjects, or such of the people as are not comprehended under the denomination of clergy, may be divided into three distinct states, the civil, the military, and the maritime. That part of the nation which falls under our first and most comprehensive division, the civil state, includes all orders of men, from the highest nobleman to the meanest peasant, that are not included under either our former division, of clergy, or under one of the two latter, the military and maritime states, and it may sometimes include individuals of the other three orders, since a nobleman, a knight, a gentleman, or a peasant, may become either a divine, a soldier, or a seaman. The civil state consists of the nobility and the commonality. Of the nobility, the peerage of Great Britain, or lords temporal, as forming, together with the bishops, one of the supreme branches of the legislature, I have before sufficiently spoken. We are here to consider them according to their several degrees, or titles of honour. All degrees of nobility and honour are derived from the king as their fountain, and he may institute what new titles he pleases. Hence it is that all degrees of honour are not of equal antiquity. Those now in use are dukes, marquesses, earls, viscounts, and barons. A duke, though it be with us as a mere title of nobility, inferior in point of antiquity to many others, yet it is superior to all of them in rank, being the first title of dignity after the royal family. Among the Saxons the Latin name of dukes, duces, is very frequent, and signified, as among the Romans, the commanders or leaders of their armies, whom in their own language they called heretaca, and in the laws of Henry I, as translated by Lombard, we find them called heretaci. But after the Norman conquest, which changed the military polity of the nation, the kings themselves continuing for many generations dukes of Normandy, they would not honour any subjects with that title, till the time of Edward III, who, claiming to be king of France, and thereby losing the ducal in the royal dignity, in the eleventh year of his reign created his son, Edward the Black Prince, Duke of Cornwall, and many of the royal family especially, were afterwards raised to the same honour. However, in the reign of Queen Elizabeth, A.D. 1572, the whole order became utterly extinct, but it was revived about fifty years afterwards by her successor, who was remarkably prodigal of honours, in the person of George Villiers, Duke of Buckingham. 2. A Marquis, Marchio, is the next degree of nobility. His office formerly was, for dignity and duty were never separated by our ancestors, to guard the frontiers and limits of the kingdom, which were called the marches, from the Teutonic word, march, as a limit, as in particular were the marches of Wales and Scotland, while they continued to be enemy countries. The persons who had command there were called Lords Marchers, or Marquesses. The whole authority was established by statute 27th Henry VIII, c. 27, though the title had long before been a mere ensign of honour, Robert Vere, Earl of Oxford, being created Marquess of Dublin by Richard II in the eighth year of his reign. 3. An Earl is a title of nobility so ancient that its original cannot clearly be traced out. Thus much seems tolerably certain, that among the Saxons they were called earldermen, 
quasi-elderman, signifying the same as senior or senator among the Romans, and also skyermen, because they had each of them the civil government of several divisions or shire. On the eruption of the Danes, they changed the name to earls, which, according to Camden, signified the same in their language. In Latin they are called comites, a title first used in the empire, from being the king's attendants. A societate nomen sumpserent, regis enim talis sibi associant. After the Norman conquest they were for some time called counts, or counties, from the French, but they did not long retain that name themselves, though their shires are from thence called counties to this day. It is now become a mere title, they having had nothing to do with the government of the county, which, as has been more than once observed, is now entirely devolved on the sheriff, the earl's deputy, or vice-commis. In all writs and commissions, and other formal instruments, the king, when he mentions any peer of the degree of an earl, always styles him trusty and well-beloved cousin, an appellation as ancient as the reign of Henry the Fourth, who, being either by his wife, his mother, or his sisters, actually related or allied to every earl in the kingdom, artfully and constantly acknowledged that connection in all his letters and other public acts, from whence the usage has descended to his successors, though the reason has long ago failed. 4. The name of Vice-Comis, or Viscount, was afterwards made use of as an arbitrary title of honour, without any shadow of office pertaining to it, by Henry the Sixth, when, in the eighteenth year of his reign, he created John Beaumont a peer, by the name of Viscount Beaumont, which was the first instance of the kind. 5. A baron's is the most general and universal title of nobility, for originally every one of the peers of superior rank had also a barony annexed to his other titles. But it hath sometimes happened that, when an ancient baron hath been raised to a new degree of peerage, in the course of a few generations the two titles have descended differently, one perhaps to the male descendants, the others to the heirs general, whereby the earldom or other superior title hath subsisted without a barony, and there are also modern instances where earls and viscounts have been created without annexing a barony to their other honours, so that now the rule does not hold universally that all peers are barons. The original and antiquity of baronies has occasioned great inquiries among our English antiquarians. The most probable opinion seems to be that they were the same with our present lords of manners, to which the name of court-baron, which is the lord's court, and incident to every manor, gives some countenance. It may be collected from King John's Magna Carta that originally all lords of manors, or barons, that held of the king in capite, had seats in the great council or parliament, till about the reign of that prince the conflux of them had become so large and troublesome, that the king was obliged to divide them, and summon only the greater barons in person, leaving the small ones to be summoned by the sheriff, and, as it is said, to sit by representation in another house, which gave rise to the separation of the two houses of Parliament. By degrees the title came to be confined to the great barons, or lords of the Parliament only, and there were no other barons among the peerage but such as were summoned by writ, in respect of the tenure of their lands or baronies, till Richard II first made it a mere title of honour, by conferring it on divers persons by his letters patent. Having made this short inquiry into the original of our several degrees of nobility, I shall next consider the manner in which they may be created. The right of peerage seems to have been originally territorial, that is, annexed to lands, honours, castles, manors, and the like, 
the proprietors and possessors of which were, in right of those estates, allowed to be peers of the realm, and were summoned to Parliament to do suit and service to their sovereign, and when the land was alienated, the dignity passed with it as appendant. Thus the bishops still sit in the House of Lords, in right of succession to certain ancient baronies annexed, or supposed to be annexed, to their episcopal lands, and thus, in eleventh Henry the Sixth, the possession of the castle of Arundel was adjudged to confer an earldom on its possessor. But afterwards, when alienations grew to be frequent, the dignity of peerage was confined to the lineage of the party ennobled, and instead of territorial became personal. Actual proof of a tenure by barony became no longer necessary to constitute a lord of Parliament, but the record of the writ of summons to them or their ancestors was admitted as a sufficient evidence of the tenure. Peers are now created either by writ or by patent, for those who claim them by prescription must suppose either a writ or patent made to their ancestors, though by length of time it is lost. The creation by writ, or the king's letter, is a summons to attend the House of Peers, by the style and title of that barony, which the king is pleased to confer, that by patent is a royal grant to a subject of any dignity and degree of peerage. The creation by writ is the more ancient way, but a man not ennobled thereby, unless he actually takes his seat in the House of Lords, and therefore the most usual, because the surest way is to grant the dignity by patent, which inures to a man and his heirs according to the limitations thereof, though he never himself makes use of it. Yet it is frequent to call up the eldest son of a peer to the House of Lords by writ of summons, in the name of his father's barony, because in that case there is no danger of his children's losing the nobility in case he never takes his seat, for they will succeed to their grandfather. Creation by writ has also one advantage over that by patent, for a person created by writ holds the dignity to him and his heirs, without any words to that purport in the writ. But in letters patent there must be words to direct the inheritance, else the dignity inures only to the grantee for life. For a man or woman may be created noble for their own lives, and the dignity not descended to their heirs at all, or descend only to some particular heirs, as where a peerage is limited to a man, and the heirs male of his body by Elizabeth, his present lady, and not to such heirs by any former or future wife. Let us next take a view of a few of the principal incidents attending the nobility, exclusive of their capacity as members of Parliament, and as hereditary councillors of the Crown, both of which we have before considered. And first we must observe, that in criminal cases a nobleman shall be tried by his peers. The great are always obnoxious to popular envy. Were they to be judged by the people, they might be in danger from the prejudice of their judges, and would moreover be deprived of the privilege of the meanest subjects, that of being tried by their equals, which is secured to all the realm by Magna Carta. It is said that this does not extend to bishops, who, though they are lords of Parliament, and sit there by virtue of their baronies which they hold de jure ecclesiae, yet are not ennobled in blood, and consequently not peers with the nobility. As to peeresses, no provision was made for their trial when accused of treason or felony, till after Eleanor, Duchess of Gloucester, wife to the Lord Protector, had been accused of treason and found guilty of witchcraft, in an ecclesiastical synod, through the intrigues of Cardinal Beaufort. This very extraordinary trial gave occasion to a special statute, 20th Henry the Sixth, c. 9, which enacts that peeresses, either in their own right or by marriage, shall be tried before the same judicature as peers of the realm. 
If a woman, noble in her own right, marries a commoner, she still remains noble, and shall be tried by her peers. But if she be only noble by marriage, then by a second marriage with a commoner she loses her dignity. For as by marriage it is gained, by marriage it is also lost. Yet if a duchess dowager marries a baron, she continues a duchess still. For all the nobility are peers, and therefore it is no degradation." A peer, or peeress, either in her own right or by marriage, cannot be arrested in civil cases, and they have also many peculiar privileges annexed to their peerage in the course of judicial proceedings. A peer, sitting in judgment, gives not his verdict upon oath, like an ordinary juryman, but upon his honour. He answers also to bills in chancery upon his honour, and not upon his oath. But when he is examined as a witness either in civil or criminal cases, he must be sworn for the respect which the law shows to the honour of a peer does not extend so far as to overturn a settled maxim, that in judicio non creditur nisi juratus. The honour of peers is, however, so highly tendered by the law, that it is much more penal to spread false reports of them, and certain other great officers of the realm, than of other men scandal against them being called by the peculiar name of scandalum magnetum, and subjected to particular punishment by diverse ancient statutes. A peer cannot lose his nobility, but by death or attainer, though there was an instance, in the reign of Edward the Fourth of the degradation of George Neville, Duke of Bedford, by an act of Parliament, on account of his poverty, which rendered him unable to support his dignity." But this is a singular instance, which serves at the same time, by having happened, to show the power of Parliament, and, by having happened but once, to show how tender the Parliament hath been, in exerting so high a power. It hath been said, indeed, that if a baron waste his estate, so that he is not able to support the degree, the king may degrade him, but it is expressly held by later authorities that a peer cannot be degraded but by act of Parliament." The commonality, like the nobility, are divided into several degrees, and as the lords, though different in rank, yet all of them are peers in respect of their nobility, so the commoners, though some of them are greatly superior to others, yet all are in law peers, in respect of their want of nobility. The first name of dignity, next beneath a peer, was anciently that of vidamis, vice-domini, or valvasors, who are mentioned by our ancient lawyers as viri magnae dignitatis, and Sir Edward Coke speaks highly of them. Yet they are now quite out of use, and our legal antiquarians are not so much agreed upon their original or ancient office. Now, therefore, the first dignity after the nobility is a knight of the order of St. George, or of the Garter, first instituted by Edward the Third, A.D. 1344. Next follows a knight banneret, who, indeed, by statutes 5th Richard the Second, statute 2, c. 4, and 14th Richard the Second, c. 11, is ranked next after barons, and that precedence was confirmed to him by order of King James I, in the tenth year of his reign. But in order to entitle himself to this rank, he must have been created by the king in person, in the field, under the royal banners, in time of open war. Else he ranks after baronets, who are the next in order, which title is a dignity of inheritance, created by letters patent, and usually descendable to the issue male. It was first instituted by King James I, A.D. 1611, in order to raise a competent sum for the reduction of the province of Ulster in Ireland, for which reason all baronets have the arms of Ulster superadded to their family coat. Next follow Knights of the Bath, 
an order instituted by King Henry IV, and revived by King George I. They are so called from the ceremony of bathing, the night before their creation. The last of these inferior nobility are knights bachelors, the most ancient, though the lowest, order of knighthood amongst us. For we have an instance of King Alfred's conferring this order on his son, Athelstan. The custom of the ancient Germans was to give their young men a shield and a lance in the great council. This was equivalent to the toga virilis of the Romans. Before this they were not permitted to bear arms, but were accounted as part of the father's household. After it, as part of the public. Hence some derive the usage of knighting, which has prevailed all over the western world, since its reduction by colonies from these northern heroes. Knights are called in Latin equitus orati, orati from the gilt spurs they wore, and equitus because they always served on horseback, for it is observable that almost all nations call their knights by some appellation derived from an horse. They are also called in our law milites, because they formed a part or indeed the whole of the royal army, in virtue of their feudal tenures, one condition of which was, that every one who held a knight's fee, which in Henry the Second's time amounted to twenty pounds per annum, was obliged to be knighted, and attend the king in his wars, or fine for his non-compliance. The exertion of this prerogative, as an expedient to raise money in the reign of Charles I, gave great offence, though warranted by law, and the recent example of Queen Elizabeth, but it was, at the Restoration, together with all other military branches of the feudal law, abolished, and this kind of knighthood has, since that time, fallen into great disregard. These, Sir Edward Coke says, are all the names of dignity in this kingdom, esquires and gentlemen being only names of worship. But before these last the heralds rank all colonels, sergeants at law, and doctors in the three learned professions. Esquires and gentlemen are confounded together by Sir Edward Coke, who observes that every esquire is a gentleman, and a gentleman is defined to be one key armant garret, who bears coat-armour, the grant of which adds gentility to a man's family, in like manner as civil nobility among the Romans was founded in the jus immagnum, or having the image of one ancestor at least, who had borne some curule office. It is indeed a matter somewhat unsettled what constitutes the distinction, or who is a real esquire, for it is not an estate, however large, that confers this rank upon its owner. Camden, who was himself a herald, distinguishes them the most accurately, and he reckons up four sorts of them. 1. The eldest sons of knights and their eldest sons, in perpetual succession. 2. The younger sons of peers and their eldest sons, in like perpetual succession, both which species of esquires Sir H. Spellman entitles Armigeri Nataliti. 3. Esquires created by the King's Letters Patent, or other investiture, and their eldest sons. 4. Esquires, by virtue of their offices, as justices of the peace, and others who bear any office of trust under the crown. To these may be added the Esquires of Knights of the Bath, each of whom constitutes three at his installation, and all foreign, nay, Irish peers, and the eldest sons of peers of Great Britain, who, though generally titular lords, are only esquires in the law, and so must be named in all legal proceedings. As for gentlemen, says Sir Thomas Smith, they be made good cheap in this kingdom, for whosoever studieth the law of the realm, who studieth in the universities, who professeth liberal sciences, and to be short, who can live idly, and without manual labour, and will bear the port, charge, and countenance of a gentleman, he shall be called master, and shall be taken for a gentleman." 
A yeoman is he that hath free land of forty shillings by the year, who is thereby qualified to serve on juries, vote for knights of the shire, and do any other act, where the law requires one that is probus e legalis homo. The rest of the commonality are tradesmen, artificers, and labourers, who, as well as all others, must, in pursuance of the statute first Henry V, c. 5, be styled by the name and addition of their estate, degree, or mystery, in all actions and other legal proceedings. End of section 41.